Welcome to Why Am I Just Finding This Out? I'm your host, Kristen Stovern, women's health clinician for over 20 years, practicing in all areas of women's health with a passion to educate, empower, and leave a legacy of better health for women. Hello, welcome to the podcast today on Why Am I Just Finding This Out? I have a very special guest that all should be so grateful to have as an advocate for women in the state of Missouri and trying to really make a dent in improving outcomes for women, access to care for women, legislation for women in all capacities. She and I have a connection that one of my very best friends and someone that has been alongside me for two decades is also someone that she is a friend and colleague with. So I'm excited to have her. Welcome, Reggie. Hello, thank you for having me. I'm so excited. Well, I'm really excited and appreciative that you're taking the time to talk to me today. We have so many things in common in terms of our direction to make a difference and finding those like-minded people really drives that passion for me and I'm sure for you. And hopefully collaboratively, we can get a voice out there for all women and empower them to have the knowledge for access to things that can help them, those they love those they care about in their community. So I just wanted to say one of the things that Reggie provided in her bio that I feel like is a good entry into the discussion is that her passion is understanding root cause that impede progress and contribute to disparities in communities and systems of care. What a beautiful way to comprise what she's trying to achieve in all those avenues. Reggie, what led you to really this direction in healthcare and why is maternal health where you have continued your passion? I took a really convoluted road to get here, honestly. I didn't plan to end up where I am, but what led me here was my personal experience. I had a what I thought was a regular, happy first pregnancy. I started having some strange complications at about 24, 25 weeks. I ended up in the hospital um, with full-blown eclampsia. I woke up in an OR coming out of a seizure, and I delivered a 27-weeker. It was a 900-gram baby, and and everything kind of shifted after that. And so I experienced that lack of knowledge, that confusion of care, that not being heard, not being listened to. Luckily, I didn't end up going home. I can only imagine had I been home when that seizure occurred, as opposed to already in the hospital. I became a NICU mom, and then I became a NICU volunteer and kind of looking for that next job opportunity. I went home with a baby on oxygen and with therapies, and everything kind of took a turn. And I had this opportunity to do this parent-to-parent volunteer program through March of Dimes here at our NICU in St. Louis. And then I had the opportunity to do a paid position there and development and fundraising. And I've worked in the healthcare space in my previous life, but very much on like an administrative level. And so one thing led to another. I learn a lot from people like you. I've had really great mentors who are clinicians and practitioners. I've had mentors on the other side who are advocates and lobbyists. And my career just grew from there. And now that baby, who is my oldest of three, is 16 and just got her driver's license. It's phenomenally healthy thanks to the interventions and care she received. But that's my long winding road, Kristen. And we always say we want to work with folks with lived experience. And I think that's how a lot of us ended up where we are. Absolutely. And I really appreciate you sharing that story. I think many can relate to that story. For those that are unaware, eclampsia is when preeclampsia, which is a severe blood pressure condition in pregnancy, 
that starts to alter other functions in your body, such as your kidney function. And when preeclampsia leads to eclampsia, or she defined an eclamptic seizure, is where you are so sick that then you go into a seizure state. In that time, when you are still pregnant, that can decrease or stop blood flow to the pregnancy and is a emergent life-threatening condition for both mom and baby. Delivery is the solution for that, although you can become preeclamptic postpartum, it's less common, and you can become eclamptic postpartum. Recognizing those signs and being able to get to care as quickly as possible is essential, but as Reggie is saying, being hurt in that, and part of the issues with our maternal mortality and morbidity rates across the country, including the state of Missouri, are that those voices aren't always heard or recognized And sometimes we have to know in our gut that we need to advocate and push to be heard before something happens. And it sounds like that's where your desire to make a change, make a difference, improve care came from. It came from a place of our heart. I think many women who go into women's health care or advocacy, it's because they have a personal story. They have Mm -hmm. something that drove them to that passion. And so I appreciate you sharing that. It's a very personal story and one that you didn't have to share, but I think it will speak to many. For Chris and I, then I had the opportunity. I've met people that were involved in my care through mm-hmm. this work. I actually met the physician who's now on your side of the state that I'm um, practicing in Kansas City, but I recognized her at a conference five years later. And we both broke into tears and hugged each other. And we now, and this Dr. Tracy Johnson, for anyone that knows her, she is incredible. We now sit together on the leadership team of Missouri's Perinatal Quality Collaborative. And it, it's really wonderful that I had the opportunity to do that. And I felt unheard. And I'm a very privileged person who walked in to the hospital with family surrounding me, with wonderful private insurance, with funds to do whatever I needed to do. And I felt unheard. I know that that is exacerbated times a hundred for many other people. And now I think we are seeing shifts in that. I mean, we've got like CDC um, just recently launched a campaign called the Hear Her campaign. And so I think that we're a lot more cognizant than we were even five years ago, but we're nowhere near where we need to be. And you're doing this work in teaching women how to advocate for themselves, but in teaching clinicians how to listen, we can only move up from here, right? Well, I think so. And I think having the permission and courage to speak up, speak loud and proud We're not always going to get the best response back, but at this point for me and for you, this is really about quality of life. If we can save lives, if we can improve access to care, and as we both have experienced, there are lots of barriers of care for women, and there are implicit biases within healthcare everywhere that good-meaning clinicians may not realize that they are practicing with bias, but it does occur. And so in order for us to open the doors and improve communication, we've got to speak to the population, to the women that are accessing that care. So hopefully they can break down some of those barriers with us because it's a teaching tool for all of us and learning how to walk through that. I've certainly made mistakes in my career and I am better now than I was before. I think we all can say that about ourselves if we're willing to see that our faults are what make us then stronger if we will recognize those and do better next time. Absolutely. So in your opinion, what is the biggest problem for the knowledge gap in women? I look at this kind of all of this work from two lenses. I have the opportunity to be a strategist and a learning consultant and a convener kind of through one half of my work and the other half of my work 
and doing primary research and doing qualitative research with women around maternal and infant care. And I think one of the most surprising things that we've learned in our research work in the last couple of years is what a huge knowledge gap there is around contraception. We went in to do a study for a Medicaid managed care plan around how women were accessing prenatal care and insurers wanted to know, are they using the app? Are they struggling to make appointments? Are they accessing these wraparound benefits and services that we have? We laughed because we had like 10 learning objectives for this study. We were asking all the things. And the one thing we weren't asking, which we didn't know until we got in the room, was about contraception. And every woman that we talked to was either pregnant at the time or had delivered in the last year. Those were the parameters to be in the study. And when we got out of our second group, so we talked to about 12 women by that point, not one person in the group had a planned pregnancy. 12 out of 12 were unplanned pregnancies. And so we started to explore that a little more. And we have a great client who was really in the interest of learning. And we said, can we shift a little bit? Can we add a component to this study? And by the time we got to the fourth city and got through all of our groups, every single woman that was in the study had Medicaid insurance. Every single woman's pregnancy was unplanned. And so we talked a lot about contraception in this state at the time. We weren't in Missouri, but they had a similar fall off cliff that we do in Missouri, right? Their Medicaid coverage ended a couple of months after delivery. There was no connection to primary care services after that. They were so close to their OBGYNs for that very acute period of time. And then there was no continuity of care. And we asked a lot of questions about LARC and pills and all the options. And there was so much fear. I can't get an IUD or I can't get something on arm because I'm not going to have someone to go to when I have a problem. I don't have a provider to take it out for me. I've heard horror stories on Facebook. I can't get to the pharmacy it's not close to me, the only place that I can get, right? Because we've got like these free access points in most states. I think the lack of knowledge is just huge there. And I think the general population's maybe lack of understanding around how many pregnancies are not planned and how that can adversely affect the outcomes for mom and baby. You hit the nail on the head on just access and knowledge. That is an issue that is across the country for sure, and has been a problem for my entire career. I feel like through COVID, it became even more marked as clinics closed, as community hospitals mm -hmm. closed. Then you add the legislation changed with Roe v. Wade a year ago, yeah. which when you look at that, I think what many miss in understanding is that places that provided abortion care, regardless of how you feel, pro-life, pro-choice, they provided contraception care, reproductive counseling, birth control access options to those that couldn't afford it, and it met them where they are. And if those clinics are no longer viable and they're not supported because of assumptions that are being made about what they did, that is only harming more and is going to increase our maternal mortality and morbidity and infant mortality and morbidity and quality of life of our moms. Because if they get pregnant and they didn't want to, and they aren't healthy enough for it, or they can't financially handle that, or they are in a domestic violence situation, they have mental health disorders, they don't have people that will support them. You've just now created a domino effect of issues that are much more likely to cause adversity in those people's lives than it will do anything to improve the health of our population. Why is that population not a priority across our country? Because it isn't. 
we can see things that are getting approved for men and access to care for men or for our male counterparts and those that are female or non-binary or the LGBT community or any community that needs reproductive health counseling, care issues, where's that access? Where are those providers? Where's the coverage for that? Where's the support? Which leads us to where we both are trying to make a difference in that and meet people again where they are. So what do you feel like has fundamentally changed in healthcare over really your adult life as well as mine? So I think everything has changed. I think that the biggest changes in your and my probably career span, I mean, the ACA was a game changer. We know the data unquestionably shows us that it has increased access to care. I think there's a lot of things it hasn't done for us, but we've continued to see drug prices just skyrocket. We know that that's a major hindrance to care. I think the evolution of managed care has been really interesting. I can remember when I started doing this work, even I think five or six years ago, we only had managed care, right? It was the I-70 managed care corridor. And now it's across the state of Missouri. And I think it's fundamentally changed how our public programs work. And I think a couple of things that I've seen change for the better in the last few years, I've got a grant writer hat that I wear a lot of times in this role here. And I think the emergence of equity and social determinants of health and the importance on racial disparity, it popped up or there were particular funding streams that equity was a core component of. And now I haven't written a, a, a grant that doesn't have equity as a core component that is not requiring you in order to draw down healthcare dollars to have a really strong component of your program that's addressing social or structural determinants of health. I think that's a huge positive. You and I both know health outcomes aren't improving as a result of that yet. It's a long game. So I'm really hopeful that that it's a positive. I'm glad we're writing to it. I'm glad we're putting dollars towards it. And I look forward to the day where we can say, gosh, these dollars invested in things like childcare, in supporting better transportation access, really appropriate custom transportation, not a, we're going to give you a ride, but you're going to sit at the doctor for eight hours for a 30 minute appointment because that's not addressing a need. So I look forward to the day that we can look back at that data over 10 years and say, wow, it really did improve outcomes. That's an excellent answer. And I love that you added the positive and the negative, which I think that that's, we all are working towards improvement and we've seen some improvement, but we've seen some decline and just recognizing that for what it is, but at least we're headed in a positive direction in certain areas. That's encouraging. Something that I would love for you to share with the listeners for them to be aware of, what are some of the initiatives in Missouri that are working towards improving women's health that maybe they could be a voice for, that they even could pull up online and look up something, or they could even take it to their healthcare provider and say, I found this resource, I want to do this. And we can add this to the show notes if you have very particular websites or access points that you feel like a woman who's 20 years old and doesn't have insurance or has limited access. What access points can she do to one, advocate for herself and look for those resources? So we work on an initiative funded by Missouri Foundation for Health called the Uplift Connection. It does have a website. I mean, the, the goal of that work is to really build a repository of resources that are publicly facing 
to share just access to those resources, to share funding opportunities. Within that page, we there's also an events calendar. So if there are public convenings, opportunities at a library, if there are speaker events, we try to keep a very real-time, up-to-date. And if you, Kristen, had an opportunity you wanted to, click a button, share my opportunity, share my organization. I think you and I talked about it earlier, is about maybe enough awareness out there. There's an interactive map on there for providers who provide perinatal substance use disorder services, which we know is a huge gap in Missouri. So I think that's a great publicly facing resource and I'm obviously biased because I work on it, but I do love it. I think there are a lot of like other initiatives that are, so we do finally have a fully funded PQC, a perinatal quality collaborative in Missouri. They're really working on building up their, there isn't a public facing website yet, but there will be. So they're leading those clinical quality improvement initiatives. And I think there are a lot of great local organizations or specialized organizations, for lack of a better word. So Missouri Family Health Council, who is doing a ton of work in reproductive justice and contraceptive access, they just launched a new campaign called Free EC, where they are providing emergency contraception at all of their points of distribution now, in addition to what I'll call preventive contraception. Generate Health in St. Louis is doing incredible work. Boot Hill Babies and Families down in the Boot Hill is doing incredible work. A lot of our FQHCs are doing a lot of impactful work in maternal child health. So I think there's a plethora of pockets of excellence that we don't celebrate enough. We will add all of these organizations to the show notes so that you have a link to look any of this up. When she's talking about ACA earlier, that was the act that allowed or mandated healthcare access to all throughout the country. And when she's talking about FQHCs, that's these are federally funded clinics that are offering care that's meeting you where you are. And if you have any questions, absolutely, you can direct message me and I can help guide you. And if I'm unsure, I can always message Reggie and she can help with that as well. We want you to have access to the care that you need. I'm happy to send you links and give you details should you need to know that. So thank you for sharing that. So clearly you're an advocate and clearly you're working really hard to improve health for women and for reproductive services. You are a woman, you are a mom, you have a story, you've struggled. What is important for the health of women from your perspective? Clearly you have a passion and a reason for your passion. We can talk mind, body, spiritual health, maternal health, quality of life, whatever it is that speaks to you, that tells you as a woman what you are trying to represent and that you feel to your core is important. All of those. I think we dichotomize care a lot of times into mental and physical. And I think as a society and as a community, we're learning that that's actually not advantageous, that we are need to be looking holistically at health. It absolutely includes both. We know from our Pregnancy Associated Mortality Review Board here in Missouri that mental health is the leading cause of maternal mortality. It isn't something that's coming out of her physical care. It is a lack of access to mental health services. I think that's shocking when you hear that for the first time. When I think about holistic care, it isn't just what's happening in the provider's office. So it is that wraparound of our life 
we aren't offering paid leave. I mean, so many of our women don't have paid leave. And we know that the majority of deaths occur between about like that second or third month and the end of that first year. And if you have paid leave, you probably only have it for two months, maybe three, if you're very lucky. A personal passion of mine is I serve as the board chair for the St. Louis area diaper bank and St. Louis Alliance for period supplies. We have no programs. We have no safety net programs that allow parents and families access to those products. And they are super expensive. And when you don't have diapers for your baby, even if you do have childcare, they can't go to childcare without a stash of diapers. When we know some research out of St. Louis University, just out my window down the road here, we've got a lot of girls missing days of school because they don't have access to pads and tampons. And it is almost absurd when I hear myself say it. I have two teenage daughters at home. I also have a son. I have period supplies all over my house. A passion about breaking down that stigma too. I think that holistic model of care is, that's the pinnacle. That's the utopia. So two things I want to bring up on that, just because we both have talked about the mortality rates in Missouri, which we had an initial release of findings that were August, 2022. And I believe there's going to be new findings that are going to be published soon that aren't better. And one of the things that I just would like to mention again, which I've mentioned on previous podcasts and are also part of the initiative of why I'm doing this. And that is at the timing of the published results in August of 2022, that For pregnancy-related mortality in Missouri, mental health conditions were the leading underlying cause of pregnancy-related deaths at 50%. 65% of deaths were pregnancy-associated, but not related for a rate of about 60 per 100,000. Now, this is what I really want our audience to hear. The leading cause of injury-related deaths were overdoses and poisonings by 49%, followed by motor vehicle accidents. At 28%, substance abuse disorders contributed to 54% of pregnancy-related and 43% of pregnancy-associated but not related deaths. This is 100% on par with what she's saying about where is the care 60 days after having a baby, not having paid maternity leave, not having the support that you need, not being able to afford diapers, can't take them then to childcare, and we could go on and on. So those findings I wanted to bring up. The other is I had an idea while you were talking. So someone can take this idea. It's Uh excellent. It's an entrepreneurial (laughs) idea. And every store you go in to look for tampons and pads, where are they? They're hidden. They're hidden Uh because they're embarrassing or people are ashamed to get them, which is nonsense. Why can't we have in the gum and candy aisle when you're checking out a quick pack that's inexpensive, generic, whatever, sitting there. And so you can get five tampons for a dollar as you're grabbing your gum. And it becomes normalized for us all. And so when you have that four-year-old saying, what is that? Well, tell them. Don't not tell them. Normalize the conversation. So someone could take that idea and run. Because I think that what you said, not having the affordability of pads and tampons, a lot of it is surrounded shame or embarrassment or not feeling comfortable enough to walk in that store to buy it. That's troublesome. It is troublesome. And that's part of our mission at APS is reducing stigma. I mean, it's huge. I want to backtrack too, Kristen. So I'll take your idea to, um, we'll see if we can get a grocery store in St. Louis. (laughs) I'll let you know. (laughs) Okay. Well, and if I need help with say that I'm the idea, we need to patent that idea and I can be part of it because it really is a fantastic idea. It's a super idea. 
The way we distribute the pads and tampons at the diaper bank is we they're called a flow kit. So it's similar, but yeah. cute, you know, it's packaged cute. It's got 20 products. I don't want to miss this really important thing that we haven't talked about. And that is like that. Our data also shows that black women are dying at a rate of three to four times yes. that of white women. Yes. And that women on publicly funded Medicaid insurance are dying at a rate of three times that of those on private insurance. The data that you shared is across the board. And then when you layer those disparities, I mean, we have populations that are so underserved that are not getting the care that they need, that whether that means it's an access issue, it's a cultural competency issue, it's a racism issue. We know it is all of those things. And so there's so much work to be done and there's great people that are doing it, but there's so much work to be done. And to that point, I just also want to mention that the assumption just because you are low socioeconomic status is why your risk of having a pregnancy-related mortality or morbidity is not decreased for the Black community if you are uninsured. It doesn't matter based on the data. If you are wealthy, there are still the biases there. And so breaking down those barriers of making assumptions and not hearing those voices for whatever reason we really need to unpolarize those populations to realize that women in general of all colors, shapes, sizes, cultural standing, languages, if they say that there is something that is wrong, that they feel something is wrong in their gut, for the majority of the time, they know. Maybe it's not acute. Maybe it's not emergent. Maybe it's something that we don't think is a big deal, but it is a big deal to them. Open those ears, listen, validate the concern. And don't dismiss it. And we can all do that. We can do that for our neighbors. We can do that for our friends. We can do that at schools. We can do that at universities. We can do that in the grocery store line. Those validations are what are going to empower all of our neighbors and our community members and those around us if we can just be comfortable enough to be willing to see that we all are different and unique and we'll have a different version of where we're coming from, but listening, meeting them where they are and If you can assist in some way just by listening and being empathetic, I think that that could go a long way for all of us. Couldn't agree more. So Reggie, as we conclude this, although I would really like to talk again, because I think we have a whole nother topic we can talk on, but I would (laughs) love for you to share two things. First, what are your favorite self-care rituals? Okay. I think I've got two top for sure. Number one, my selfish self-care ritual is... It's really boring. It's getting my nails done. It is something I carve out for every two weeks, no matter what. It makes me feel loved and cared for. My healthy, I guess, self-care ritual. I'm a big hiker. I'm a big walker. I ignore my children and I just take my 80-pound dog. I listen to podcasts. I've got a new one since yours launched. Or I walk with my best friend and our two dogs are best friends. At least three days a week we go together. But I don't miss a day with Maple. Well, I love that. And I just want to share with you that I recorded a podcast on Monday that will be published before yours with a phenomenal physician, Dr. Mandy Gittler, who is a reproductive justice, absolute passionately driven advocate and difference maker. And she said, when we were talking about access to reproductive care and ability to get birth control, is that if you have a patient, their priority are their nails or their hair, but they can't afford birth control but they can afford to get their nails done. Okay. That's self-care for them. That doesn't mean it's wrong. 
We could all judge that and say that their priorities are off. That's not fair though. If it's a self-care, something that fulfills them in some way, if you love getting your nails done and that's Mm -hmm. something that makes you feel fulfilled and it's a (laughs) self-care ritual that is something that really feeds you, then so be it. So I just wanted to, to say, it's interesting that I literally had this conversation three days ago and here we are again. Everybody's got their thing, right? I mean, yeah. if you told me I could get a facial or get my nails done, I'm going to pick my nails. But it- <laughs> I love it. So the second question and last question for this podcast is, what are you working on for your next efforts to advocate for better health for women and children? What can we look for that's coming up? Well, I would say like our learning community work um, is always ongoing. So we're working really on shoring up and revamping the Uplift Connection site that I mentioned. We are collecting new data on providers who are providing perinatal SUD services. We're planning the statewide convening that is really built for any stakeholder that touches families, birthing people, infants, early spring of 2024 in collaboration with Missouri Hospital Association and Missouri Department of Health and Senior Services are generally partners on that event. I'm getting ready to, I think, head to Georgia for my next round of qualitative research on mothers and fathers, caregivers. So I'm really excited about that. Those are my upcoming exciting things. That's amazing. Thank you for all your hard work. Reggie, I would like to share with the audience what you're comfortable with in terms of your how they can connect with you, whether that's LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook. So whatever you are comfortable with, someone wants to directly ask you a question about where they can find some of these access points, or maybe it's even a provider that wants to be listed on the SUD list, which for those that don't know, that's substance use disorders. And that is abbreviated pretty widely, but not all are aware that's what SUD is. But if you have a preferred way for people to contact you, what would that be? I'm generally there in LinkedIn. You can reach our team at theupliftconnection.org. You can just click the button to connect with, like you said, if you have an organization that you want added, if you have an event, I would invite you to directly email us through that or just send me a message on LinkedIn. Okay. Well, we will share that in the show notes as well and on the website. So if those want to directly message her to find out more, then she is more than happy to assist you. Reggie, I really appreciate your time today. And I really appreciate your advocacy and hard work for all our moms and infants out there. The passion from your heart is heard. And I feel that that even makes it that much more warming, fulfilling to me to know there are other women out there that are taking something that comes from their heart and soul and trying to make a positive difference. So thank you for that. And I really appreciate the precious time that you're giving me as a mom, as an advocate, as a strategist, as a researcher, And yet you're still balancing all those balls and advocating for all of us. So thank you. Well, thank you. I feel very, very important that you asked (laughs) me to be here. I really enjoyed it. I could talk to you about this all day and I kick that right back at you. I mean, thank you for the work that you're doing. I didn't know this was out here either. And so I'm so happy that your dear friend connected us. And thank you for all the work that you're doing for families. Thank you so much. And I look forward to our next conversation and the connections and hopefully we can together, collaborate and make a difference on a bigger level because we both are passionate about it and have the drive and desire. So we would love for your help out there too. And tell us how we can help you message us, comment, suggest we're all for it. So again, thank you for coming to the podcast and you have a great day. 
Thank you for joining me today on this episode of Why Am I Just Finding This Out? We are facing a crisis in women's health. It is time to be seen and heard. It is time to address medicine and wellness for women holistically. And whatever we do, let's strive to leave a legacy of better. Thank you. This podcast is for information purposes only. Statements and views expressed on this podcast are not medical advice. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not accept responsibility of statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guests' qualifications or credibility. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or non-direct interest in products or services referred to herein. If you think you have a medical problem, consult your healthcare provider.